Hi there, you're listening to the Total Water Polo podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for coming back and I think you'll be glad that you did because today we are joined by a really great guest, an amazing player performing at the very top of her game. It's Aussie Stinger, Bronte Halligan, and here's what's coming up next. I remember having a chat with the coaches post-tournament and then being like, all right, like here's the stat sheet over six games that you played. Like, go across your name and tell me how many stats you have against your name. And I was like, okay, zero, 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 one, zero, 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 zero. And I was like, and he was like, what do you see? And I was like, well, I didn't make an impact. And he's like, exactly. Your one stat is an exclusion. Like you made zero impact, whether good or bad, on a game like you didn't make any impact and I think that was like the best lesson that I could have had at such an early age was go into games and make make a bigger impact as you can whatever that looks like just do it and like go 100% look as you can hear not only is Bronte an outstanding player and hugely passionate about water polo but she's also incredibly thoughtful uh, reflective and there's so many lessons to learn from from our chat it's definitely worth staying for don't forget you get 10% off at werewaterpolo.com for listening to this show enter our discount code podcast 10 at the checkout plus if you can spend five seconds giving us a rating on spotify or or a review on apple podcasts or just sharing the show on any social media channels it really helps to raise the profile of these incredible players and our beautiful sport let's get straight on with it then and this is the chat with Bronte Halligan Joining us from Zeist in the Netherlands is Bronte Halligan. Uh, good morning, Bronte. How is everything? Morning, James. Yeah, it's good. Thank you so much for having me. The pleasure is ours, and thank you for giving up your time to join us. And obviously, you're in the Netherlands at the moment preparing for the World League, which is where we will start. How nice is it for you to be back with the national team? Yeah, you know what? It's always so lovely to be back with the national team. Um, I've spent a few years apart and away from Australia playing and training in different locations. So it's always so fun to to come back and the band is just flowing and the girls are laughing. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good time when we get to rejoin and come together as a group. Yeah, it, it, it does certainly seem like that. And I primarily get that from Tilly's Instagram stories or TikToks. Um, the team seemed like a really close-knit uh, bunch and you, you seem to all enjoy working together. Do you all share the same sort of... Uh, vision and goals for the national team for sure I think you couldn't really jump on board the stingers without sharing the same um, vision or goals and uh, Tilly definitely gives the the I guess everyone in the world a behind the scenes look into what the stingers are like Um, we're pretty fun easygoing people but when it gets down to it and when the whip gets cracked we um, put our heads down and yeah really get to work yeah but now you're going to give the behind the scenes insights um (laughs) This isn't necessarily juicy gossip, but you've been training and scrapping with the United States and obviously the hosts, the Netherlands. It'd be weird if they weren't there while you guys are there. But um, what kind of shape are, are those teams in and how are you guys feeling having, you know, met them a few times in, in the pool? Yeah, look, the US and the Netherlands have two quite um, new groups, I would say, here in Zeist right now, um, just it being a kind of a weird year, a weird time of the year for international polo in November. That's it's not really heard of for us. So um, they've got new groups. We've got a new group just by 
a byproduct of a lot of people retiring from um, last year. So it's been a really fun week that I think everyone's been trying new stuff, to be honest with you, and seeing what works and seeing what doesn't work. So it's been a very experimental week. It's been high energy, um, a lot of scrap matches and scrimmages, which are always fun. And so it's it's been yeah, it's been a really good week. Yeah, and you spoke about uh, a new group there. I think the average age of the Stingers, um, not to make you feel maybe a little bit old, but was <laughs> was about was about twenty four in Budapest um, from the roster. And I think this time it's it's even younger, um, which is great for the future, of course. But um, it obviously puts you in a position of of leadership. Is that a responsibility you enjoy? Yeah, look, I love I love the role I've taken on in the Stingers this cycle. Um, I am considered old, I guess, in the Stingers now, which is mind-boggling to me because I still feel like that little 16, 17-year-old that was on the Stingers, I don't really feel any difference. So it's weird that I am um, considered old or a grandma of the, of the Stingers when I am only 26. So I think, yeah, our average age is something like 23 and we've got eight girls and under that are born OO or younger so I think we're just that's what's exciting about the group is they're all high energy they're all excited to be there and when you get young girls coming through they just like they it's almost like they have a chip on their shoulder and they have something to prove and so they just are like hell for leather the entire time so I don't necessarily necessarily feel old I more feel like their age and I'm just like hanging with all the girls I don't think there's really like an age kind of complex within our team but yeah, it is weird to to feel experienced and have a bigger role in a leadership sense. And that's something I really enjoy. And I enjoy working with the coaches and the other girls in the leadership group and um, really pushing and having a vision for where we see the Stingers going is something that's really exciting for me and something that I really enjoy that I can have my say in what that looks like. Yeah, I'm glad you used the word experience and not grandma because that's not uh, I didn't use either of those words, but you, you said you're, 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 you're part of the vision for, for the future. And um, in Budapest, I, I thought the Stingers were really, really good. Um, it was quite a positive experience, even though the results obviously weren't ideal. But, you know, for example, Hungary, you, you pushed really, really hard. Um, I know you won't want to add any undue pressure to yourselves publicly, but moving forward and, and whatever the vision is, do you think maybe you need to... You need to get a good result here in Tenerife. Um, is that the next step in your progression? Look, I think whenever you go into a competition, you're always looking for a good result. You're never not looking for a good result. And I don't think, like, we were overly satisfied with the result of Budapest. Yes, we were happy with moments and games and some, I guess, strategy that we pulled together we're really happy with. So... We're never satisfied in a sixth place at a world championships and we're always pushing for something more. So I I hope that we can um, pull out a better result in World League Finals next week. Who knows if that's the case? I guess you take it game by game, minute by minute. You never think too far ahead. We've got three round games and it's a different setup where you don't have a quarterfinal to fall back on. You go straight into semis. So um, we'll just see when we get there. But I'm I have really high hopes for this group I know the support staff do I mean it'd be stupid to say in a national polo that you don't have high hopes I I think we're all competitive people we all want to win and want to succeed so um hopefully that's that's the plan and then 
from there we just keep building and that's the whole point we're not we're not aiming to be ready next week 100% perfect playing water polo I mean that would be great if we could do that but we're aiming to build and build and build and grow as a team and hopefully bring more girls in and grow them as well so then this sport and this squad get bigger and bigger and bigger and better and then hopefully in a year's time two years time even longer than that I think is the vision that we progress to be a powerhouse in international water polo you've obviously been part of some really good Australian teams and you've you've had some success at the world championships a few years ago I remember was was a really good result um but how does this current group of girls compare to some of the previous teams that, that you've been a part of I think it's really hard to compare teams just because they are so different. Um, this this group is just young and energetic and excited. That's exactly how I would describe it. When I came into the Stingers, I was the youngest by four years and we didn't necessarily have an older bunch, but we had like a good age, middle age bunch that were all really experienced. I think a lot of girls have been to one, if not two Olympics. Um, and that was a dump era back in 2015 and they they were, I would say, consistent, those stingers. They were really consistent. They knew their water polo. They knew the systems really well. And so to come into a group like that, it was kind of like sink or swim. Like you better know what we're doing or you're out and the next one's in that we're trialling. Now I think because we're so new and we're so fresh-faced, it's more, and the coach is new, so it's more trial and error to find out what, our stingers kind of what our heartbeat or our personality is as the stingers group which is also a really fun thing to be a part of is we get to define who we are um also with bringing along a lot of that stingers culture that we're really proud to represent and proud to be a part of that's really well put and you said that you you came into the team uh, you were quite a bit younger than the others you made your debut in 2014 i think and you were you were 17 um what do you remember from those those early days coming into as you said, a, a squad of, you know, double Olympians in some cases. Oh, yeah. I remember my debut game was um, in China in at a World League Finals, funnily enough. Um, it was that those two weeks was like the most mind-boggling thing of ever. Like I was, in, I was still in high school. I was still competing for junior national teams. And then I also was being pulled up into the senior national team. So, I mean, I thank my mom for being able to get me everywhere to training and to school and everything because she's a big part of, the reason why I'm here but those early days at World League Finals was just insane my debut game um was crazy I think I only hit the the water for a few minutes like I, I didn't play a lot and I just kind of tried to was try to be a sponge and soak in everything that I was a part of um I remember having a chat with the coaches post-tournament and then being like all right like here's the stat sheet over six games that you played like go across your name and tell me how many stats you have against your name and I was like okay zero 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 one zero 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 and I was like and he was like what do you see and I was like well I didn't make an impact and he's like exactly your one stat is an exclusion like you made zero impact whether good or bad on a game like you didn't make any impact and I think that was like the best lesson that I could have had at such an early age was go into games and make make a bigger impact as you can, whatever that looks like, just do it and like go 100%. And that's the lesson I took away and that's something I've tried to carry through and in my water polo now for 
10 odd years that I've been part of the Stingers now. So, um, yeah, I definitely remember my debut with something I hold really, really close and dearly to me because I learned such an important lesson. But that's always that's always easier maybe to say than to actually do. But what, what advice would you give in practice, um, whether it would be when it comes to training or, or like a mindset in game or speaking to teammates or your coaches about, about technical or tactical points? Look, I think it's easier to make an impact in training than it is in a game, more so that you're in an environment where mistakes are welcomed and challenged, not so much in a game where, yes, mistakes are welcomed if you're 100% going to do something or try to achieve something and there's a vision there, fine. But in training, you can experiment a lot more. And I would say do that. Go out and try and make a pass that maybe you wouldn't necessarily do or take a shot that maybe you wouldn't do because you're not going to learn or grow as an athlete without failing that failure is a part of the process and it should be welcomed it shouldn't be something to be scared or afraid of and the only way you then get to make impacts within games or within training sessions is actually trying something um so that would probably be my best piece of advice is just go out and attempt something and do it wholeheartedly with a hundred percent content and commitment and then then you can learn and see what happens from there yeah that that's that's really stellar advice and um that's that takes a lot of courage sometimes for people always scared to fail um you, you spoke uh, you you said that you might you might not be here if it wasn't for for your for your mum but obviously your dad um for those that don't know and i'm sure you're sick and tired of it being brought up but lots of people won't know his background uh, you know almost like a, a legendary kiwi rugby league and rugby union player you know if you're talking about high performance maybe one one of the best kickers of all time um i know maybe you were quite young when he he'd stopped playing but what kind of influence does um an elite athlete like that not just as a father but like now nowadays i'm i'm sure you speak to him about about things even though there's maybe not so many transferable skills in terms of water polo and 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 rugby so so what kind of influence does a role model like that have on on you as a developing athlete as that 17 year old going to the world league look i think it it kept me really grounded and really um really kind of in a sense that i saw my dad as just my dad he wasn't this superhero he wasn't an elite athlete or professional athlete he just was dad daryl halligan the dad to me so he taught me how to like think, act, breathe, feel as a regular human being. I saw his athletic ability and his athleticism and his coaching and all that as just his job. Like that's what he did for a living. Um, kind of like the when you're a little kid and you're like, wait, not everyone's parents are athletes? Like is that only me? You know, that kind of moment of realisation never really happened to me because I just saw him as dad. I didn't really care what he did. Um, in saying that, he always... I think dads are better walk the walk than a talk the talk. He never like, we did, but we never had those big chats of like, here's a piece of advice I want you to take on. It was more, okay, this is how I act and this is how I would like you guys to follow me in your lives, if whether that's you're in sport or not in sport, in just general life. And I think athlete people always want like a juicy one-liner or juicy like piece of information that athletes like athletes aren't given the keys to the kingdom by 
whoever's up there athletes aren't given um the secret to life you know we just see or me personally I just see my life as my job which is water women's water polo and I see that I'm really fortunate and lucky that I get to go compete every day day in day out and do something that I love and I think that's what my dad taught me is just do what you love do what you're passionate about um and if you put 100% of yourself and your heart into that and you make sacrifices to make sure that happens then you're going to um you're going to go far and you're going to you know continue to succeed yes there was other bits and pieces in there but the main thing was he just actually emulated the type of person I want to be which is do the right things in the right moment make sure you do them to the best of your ability make sure you're making the right choices and the right sacrifices to get there yeah, I mean, I mean that's a great that's a great answer. I mean, I, I feel um, I feel a little bit inspired uh, uh, <laughs> having listened to that. Um, okay, uh, we'll talk about something maybe a little bit different um, from the highs of as a seventeen year old being in high school, returning home with with the Aussie Stingers cap and and all the rest of it, and still playing for the junior national teams. You had your eyes on the Olympic Games in twenty sixteen, and I, I understand that at that time that you were considering going to university. In, the Amer- in America, which you ultimately did, but you, you postponed that, um, that decision because Australia is not that close and uh, you have to train together and you have to s- stay in the country. Uh, obviously, in the end, you, you didn't go, which is a huge disappointment for you, I'm sure, um, and maybe a setback in some ways and maybe you were angry and having sacrificed so much. Um, so what, what emotions were you, were you feeling at that time with that disappointment and and how how did you deal with it yeah look rio was um a really good lesson learned for me i've never i had never missed out on a team ever in my life whether that be water polo or any other sport that i played growing up and i did every sport under the sun um so yeah it was the first team i had never made um it was a good lesson in kind of overcoming adversity and um I was obviously I don't know if angry is the right word I I wouldn't really call myself an angry person um I'm not really I don't really get too angry at things but um I definitely was disappointed I think more confused than anything because I felt I had probably had in that moment in time done everything I could to make it which I had I you don't go into a pre-Olympic selection not giving your all. So um, I felt I felt confused and kind of almost, um, I wouldn't say disheartened, but a little like, oh, like I wish I could have been there. Um, but I did, I got to surround myself with some great friends and all my family, of course, and pick myself up and, and learn the really important lesson, which dad helped me get to is kind of like, the coolest thing about having an athletic dad, and I think this is one of a really special moment between him and I as an athlete and an ex-athlete, is um, the post phone call saying you didn't make Rio. Dad took me down to the beach. In I live on the northern beaches in Sydney, and so we went down to the beach. It was middle of winter, absolutely freezing. I'm obviously hysterically cl- crying, really disappointed. And he made me jump in the ocean. It was like really cold and that first kind of initial impact of the ocean when it's winter is 
it kind of knocks your breath out of you a little bit usually. And this moment in time, instead of knocking the breath out of me, it kind of put the breath back into me and kept me like, oh, you're in the moment. You're actually here. You're on Manly Beach. You're with your dad. You can breathe. You are fine. And then we sat down on the beach and dad told me a story of when he missed out on a World Cup with the All Blacks that kind of changed the trajectory of his life. Um, he moved then into rugby league and he made a name for himself in rugby league. So um, he kind of taught me the lesson that sport is competitive. There's always going to be a winner. There's always going to be a loser. And that's there's always going to be someone that gets cut and someone that gets selected. And that's why we love sport. Like we wouldn't like sport if everyone can win. Like that is not just sport, but that's life too. Like you have winners and losers and sometimes you don't get the job you're going for. You miss out on something and that's okay. Like it's, it's totally okay to fail and not get there because you'll learn a lot more about yourself. And then coming back to me being missing out on the first ever team I've missed out on, it's arguably the biggest team you're ever going to try and make. And I miss out on it. How do I go about that as a young, I think I was 18, 19 at the time. How do I go about that as a young girl trying to navigate my way through the world? Well, I went, okay, let's learn from this experience. Let's not take away from it. And I had the opportunity I got asked if I wanted or didn't want to travel with the team prior to Rio for about three weeks to a month to help them train. And then when they flew to the Olympics, I would fly back home. And I was like, you know what? Hell yeah, let me get on that trip. Let me learn what an Olympic prep looks like. Like that is the perfect perfect opportunity. Not everyone gets that opportunity to learn what an Olympic prep looks like. Everyone just kind of is in their first Olympics thrown into it and said, let's train, let's do this, let's go hard. But instead I was, okay, let's learn about an Olympic prep without the real pressure of there being an Olympics at the end of the Olympic prep, um, which was a cool experience. So I learned a lot about how to bounce back and how to overcome disappointment and how special sport is in that competitive spirit. So People often ask me, would you change? Like you can, if you could go back in time, the classic question, would you change the outcome? I don't, I mean, of course I would have loved to have go, don't get me wrong. Like it'd be so cool to have gone to Rio. Um, but I learned so much about myself that I don't think I necessarily would have got those lessons in another way. Incre- incredibly uh, insightful. And it's, it's a great story. And, you know, it, it's interesting there um, that your, your dad took you and it, almost the experience that he had in his own career. He took you down to the beach, threw you in the water, maybe against your will. Um, and, you know, and you talk about being revitalized and then the growth mindset after of actually, I'm going to, I'm going to go uh, to this training camp, whether I'm going to Rio or not, but not, not everyone will have that kind of um, insight and that kind of uh, leader in their life or the, the experience. And that's not their fault, of course. In fact, um, we have a question and really apologies to the person that sent it in. Um, there's someone from Australia. I'll try and find their name later, but they asked kind of advice after not making a state team or, you know, not, not, not making a, a, an age group team. And, you know, this is basically the same thing on a, on different scale, but you didn't make an Olympic team. Kids all the time are told they're not good enough to make certain teams. So, if they don't have the leader in their life that you had, what if you could maybe a few things? You know, you said there's not one golden 
golden rule, but if you could be that leader for them, what, what advice would you give them? I honestly would just say, and it's so simple, but keep breathing, keep going. Um, I missed out on my first ever big team. And in the moment when I was 14, the biggest team I could have made was a state team. So it's not saying that no one's, um, not one team is greater than the other. It's like your moment and that's your life. And that's kind of what's so special about it is whatever is in that moment, that's the biggest to you, that is so important. And if you miss out, it's okay. It's completely okay. Just keep breathing, keep putting one foot in front of the other opportunities and new opportunities new doors always open one door closes another door opens and I know that's really cheesy and corny but it is the truth um Rio door was closed for me and UCLA door was open and I got to go experience a college experience one of my best mates she missed out on our junior Australian team back in 2014 she didn't get selected she was the first reserve someone pulled out she then got put in the team and now she's in the stingers so like there's everyone's pathway through athletic careers looks completely different. My best friend, she waited until she was she, 21, 22, and then she was a full part of the Stingers. Me, I was a part of the Stingers when I was 17. We have completely different lifespans of our athletic career, but we all end up in the same place or you try to end up in the same place. So don't sweat I and it's really easier to say like don't sweat the small stuff but it's okay it's it's really the best thing to do is actually be disappointed because then you know you care right and then if you care okay well let's see and let's go to your coach for advice go to whoever that is for advice and say okay well what can I do next time to put myself in a better position to potentially make the team because that's all we're trying to do is potentially make the team every time you're not in it till you're in it so yeah, go and find those people that can help you reach the next level of putting yourself in a position to make the team. Perfect, perfect. And um, you said the door opened for UCLA. Um, I, I don't need to ask the question because we got an absolute baller in Maddie Musselman uh, who, who wrote in asking what was it like playing at uh, UCLA and what what was it like when you eventually did did go and do what you you'd kind of you were something you were set on for a few years? What was it like? Yeah, so I was I found out about the college experience through a, another friend who was a bit older than me. She went to Hawaii, and that was the first moment I was like, oh, I could go to college for water polo. How exciting! Um, and so I talked to a few coaches when I was in year twelve, but I graduated in twenty fourteen from high school and thought "Mm, it's probably not the time and chatted to the head coach at the time, Dumper, and we thought it's probably not the time for me to go to college being that the Olympics is a year and a half away. Um, He would would have rather me had stayed in Sydney and trained. So I waited two years and I went when I was 20 um, to UCLA. And it was the best, the best experience. And every young girl coming through water polo that messages me or asks me, you know, and and men as well, oh, what was college like? I'm like, if you have the opportunity to go to college, go. I mean, I don't know what university is like in Australia. I don't know that life. I just know my life, which is I did college. And it was the best experience they really nurture you as an athlete but also a student and that's kind of what I loved is that 
I got an opportunity to really grow as an athlete and find my feet in water polo and learn a new system of water polo, which is the American system, and play with Olympic gold medalists. They came fresh off fresh off Rio, a Rio gold medal. I've got Rachel Vital and Maddie Musselman in the water with me, also Cody Hill and Alice William, who were integral parts of that that um, US water polo team in 2016. And so to have girls like that around you day in, day out training, you just learn so much your first year, first time living out of home, a 15-hour flight away from home. It's a really cool experience. And then you get the flip side of you've got all these academic counsellors and professors that care about your sport but also care that you're studying. And so it's a really cool sport-life balance that you get to lean on a lot of other people for support that I don't necessarily think you get in your entire life span of an as an athlete but you definitely get that at college so I was really fortunate and I'm so proud to be a Bruin um we're just here in Zeist and we've got four of us that are all Bruins and we're I mean, five actually including Adam so we're all so like it's nice when you see other Bruins and you come together and you like give each other a hug and you haven't seen each other in a year and you're just chatting and then you start reminiscing about college and all the fun stories and so yeah I'm just I couldn't be more thankful for my time at UCLA and it it really was the the best experience. Yeah it, it sounds like it and um, we, maybe it's, it's difficult to to judge because you almost definitely would have improved anyway but do you think going to uh, America was really the best thing for you in terms of developing your 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 game I'm not sure if the option was there but maybe if it was you could have gone to Europe maybe or um, or it, staying in Australia maybe not so much but do, do you think that was the best option for you from a water polo point of view obviously the academics is is not really disputed but from a water polo point of view I think so I think um I mean, I don't really know what was on the other side of the door. If I stayed in Australia or Europe, I don't know if I would be here, wouldn't be here, would be better, would be, I, I can't tell you, but I think I learned a lot about just a really important lesson in kind of a, the attacking style of play. Americans are such a powerhouse when it comes to attacking and executing and I mean, having muscles on the other side of the pool to you for three years is like just a lesson in itself. She's such a great water polo player and she carries herself in a way that I don't think she really understands the effect she has on everyone. And so um, it was really cool to kind of see her. And we every time we scrimmaged, it would be me and her against each other anyway. So I got to learn a lot about her attacking just by defending her and by giving her passes or whatever that looked like. And so... I think I learned the importance of attack when I went to America. That was probably the main thing. And I learned the importance about all being on the same page when it comes to tactics because they do run, well, especially in college, they run such a tight ship on um, plays and um, and different like after goals and extra mans and things like that. So I learned a lot about that. And Brandon Brooks and Adam Wright were two of my coaches, including Molly Cahill and Chris and Dusty and all the other assistant coaches that we had along the way that um, taught taught you really important lessons of like doing the basics, having your skills right there and um, and then also being all on the same page when it comes to a different tactic that we're running or a different scheduled play. Um, Adam has all his like things written up and booklets and that was a completely new style of water polo to me. I'd never played like that. In Australia it's just kind of like here's what we do, but like, let's go play true hard grit Aussie water polo that we know how to play. 
um, America's more like, okay, this is what we're doing because this is the reason we're doing it because they're running this defense. We're doing it this way. And because they're doing this, we're doing it this way. And so it's a lot more kind of cerebral thoughts on page and on paper, which I'd never experienced. So that was a really cool lesson in, in American water polo. Okay. So now, now it's time for, um, your hot take on, 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 you know, an age old debate really about, um, college water polo and professional water polo in Europe. You're obviously now, now in Europe and we'll talk about that momentarily, but, um, you're on the record a few years ago saying, uh, the NC2A was the strongest league in the world when, when you were there and you, you're pr- probably right with the players that, that were in America. Um, but how do you, how do you sit in on a way in on, on the professional versus us college debate? Um, you know, you, you're talking about the very, the very structured plays, the booklets, the, the, the finishing of the, the set plays, the moves and stuff. How does that compare with what you've experienced when you obviously moved to Italy? Yeah. Um, it's just really different and that's the only way to describe it is and I don't necessarily think people that don't know water play will understand this maybe it's the same in other sports I don't know but everyone has a style of water polo that they kind of emulate and in their national teams and then it's really true that you go into um go into their system and play in their national system like in Italy or America or Australia and that style of water polo that they emulate as a national team usually is the same across the board for that national program so the Italians you know I mean we all it's no secret they run M zones they play feisty water polo it's it's heavy it's fast paced they love to counter attack they're really smart they're good attackers um that's that's Italian water polo. American water polo is like they have their systems, they run them to a T and they are actually perfect at them. And even though you know it's coming, they're probably going to get it right and you're like, how do I stop this even though you know it's coming? Whereas Australia is like, I mean, I don't know. From my, I, It's easy kind of to look on the outside and kind of know what they look like. From the inside, I know that we are like true hybrid Aussie water polo. We put our heads down, we work hard, we grind teams out. Um, and that's kind of we counterattack hard and that's that's Australian water polo. So I don't know necessarily who is the best competition. I think when that came out of my mouth, it was they had just come off the back of an Olympic gold medal. So you can't get and there was a lot in college, so you can't get any better than that. Now in kind of that Olympic gold medal group from Rio and now even moving forward from Tokyo, a lot of them are in Europe. And then there's the Olympic silver medalists, the Olympic bronze medal is all in Europe. So, and I mean, that's one competition. Then a year after is the world championships and the same thing. So I think any kind of chance you get to be playing with the highest level of female athletes, which is all our international girls and have them as your teammates or your immediate opponent, that's high level water polo. And that's kind of the best place to put yourself in. So right now for me, that's in Europe. We've got so many girls I get to line up against all the Italians and and all the others, there's a Canadian and a, um, a Hungarian that are all playing in the Italian league right now, a few Australians, and we all just get to line up against each other and go hell for leather. And that's the most important thing is to be emulating the highest level as much as you can throughout your week because international competition is so far and few between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 
obviously you're now uh, with Akip Horizonte. Um, you've made loads of appearances for the club there. They absolutely love you. They're Italy's most successful club, but they've, they've also they're also something of a European royalty with the number of Euroleagues they won. But uh, you know, it doesn't need you don't need to go into detail about what, why you would choose to go there. That's that's clear. But um, how did that how did that uh, move come about after you left college? Yeah, so after I left college, I went back to Australia to train with the national team for Tokyo and then COVID hit and so I got to spend a lot of time at home. Um, I always knew Europe was on the cards for me. I didn't know when. Um, I actually thought I would go back to UCLA for one more year post-Tokyo and then COVID hit. So I finished out my degree online. Um, I still got a few things to sign off, but most of it is complete. Um, And then kind of was got approached before Tokyo and said this isn't a decision I can make until after Tokyo and I know kind of the headspace I'm in day one of sitting in quarantine Australia had to quarantine after Tokyo for 14 days day one of sitting in quarantine um I was like no I think I'm gonna stay at home be with my family like and just train out of Australia for the year. And then one of my assistant coaches and who's been a lifelong coach um, at my institute, um, I called her and she was like, what are you doing? Like, why would you stay home? Like, you've just been home for the last year with COVID. Like, go, go experience European water polo. Like, it's amazing. You'll love it. And like within the space of an hour, I completely had flipped what my life was going to look like for 12 months. And I was like, all right, everyone on board, mum, dad, I'm going, I'm leaving for Italy. And so then I messaged a club because I talked to a few clubs, but they, um, I knew I wanted to go there and they were like, well, you're coming in three weeks. I was like, okay, like two weeks of quarantine. And then I think I had two weeks at home and then it was like off on into Europe. So it was really fast paced. And all my friends were like, what? Like this girl is just crazy. She's lived in LA. Now she's going to Italy. So um yeah I think that was just bizarre that I kind of flipped my life and it was so kind of not impulsive but it felt impulsive in the moment just because it was so like 180 in in the space of an hour um but I yeah I love I love Akip I I I love the team there Martina and Tanya and everyone else involved they're just the best humans and they're like my family now and that's something that's really important to me is finding the pe- my people when I go away because Australia is so far away. So it's it's like you get a second family, which is, which is yeah, really cool. Um, you strike me as someone that, you know, you really like Australia, obviously your family there. Um, I don't know what um, your coach's expectations are for the next uh, Olympic cycle, whether you might have to return home, but it kind of linked to that. Does it, does it give you a bit of um, regret in your mind that players like yourself have to now go abroad and to to play against these these top players and that you you can't really stay not not professionally anyway um in, in Australia does does it feel you regret that that infrastructure isn't isn't at home down under um i don't necessarily think you can't be professional down in australia i think that would um would be kind of remiss to say that because there are a lot of girls that are doing it from home take our captain right now zoe arancini she's training from home um 100 doing the exact same amount of work that we're doing in australia um and working and and loving her life there and australia is an end goal for me i i mean i see myself ending there if not ending my international career there i think my last few years of playing will probably 
maybe end up in Australia. I mean, who's to say? I, I don't know. But it would be really cool to see um, more international players get down there and play a season there. Um, and we do. We see, you know, Cammy, the likes of Cammy Craig, Rachel Patel. Um, you've got some a few good ones right now. They've They've all gone there and played a season, if not more. So I don't think it's not professional. I think that we have a long way to go in emulating what, European clubs do say in a professional sense because we are still semi-professional. A lot of girls work or go to school or university whilst they're playing in Australia. Um, I think that's more good sense than anything else because athletic careers can end in a second and you need a fallback plan. So I think it's great that we get an opportunity to live our lives. We get an opportunity to work, study, um, but also play. So it just, I think we we're coming along and we've got the systems with the clubs now and the Institute and a big part of that is the high performance at Waterpolo Australia. And I think we're starting to like get into a rhythm where we're introducing new um, opportunities that will hopefully create and bring in more players. And then we can create a stronger, fitter, faster league. Um, So I don't necessarily think I left Australia because it wasn't high quality water polo. That's not, what I did, I, I went to Italy because it's just a new opportunity and a new opportunity for me to learn a different style of water polo. Yeah, okay, fine, fine. Yeah, and maybe maybe I should correct myself and say uh, f- a professional in the financial sense rather than the level. The mm. quality is obviously obviously um, not disputed. But, um, yeah. okay, we're going to take a break now and we will come back in part two with some questions that people have sent in on social media. Too easy, can't wait. Okay, welcome back to the Total Water Pilot podcast. This is part two with Bronte Halligan. Um, Bronte, this is the part where we ask you questions that people have sent in on social media. And we start off all of our part two uh, sections with asking our guests to give their total seven. So your, your top seven players, goalkeeper, centre forward, centre back, two wingers and, and, and two players on the top. They can be players you've played with or against or, or however you want to pick them. I can see by your face that you're getting stressed about this, but um I <laughs> know oh, I'm definitely just thinking about it. Um but we can we can jump right into it. Um I'm just gonna go current players, kind of world championships. Cause then otherwise if we go down the rabbit hole of going We could be here for hours. Alumni, we could be here for ages. So current playing. Um I think currently right now at our goalkeeper is the best in the world, Gabby Palm. She's having a cracker and she's she's a great young goalie and she's coming through really well. Um, centers, I probably would say Rebecca Parks is up there being one of the best centers in the world right now. Um, center backs. I'm probably going to actually throw a spanner and say Garcia from um, Spain. I know she's kind of more a center, but... Her centre-back work is great and Spain utilised that really well. Um, Interesting. Yeah, left drivers, really hard one because I play there, so I don't really necessarily think about 
too many of them right now. I would put Rachel Vital in there as one of the best left drivers in the world. She's great. I do really like Van Vali from Hungary. She's got a great um, vision of the ball and she's really, really fast. And now you're going to be playing against her a lot more often. Yeah, definitely. And then right drivers. I probably would say Muscles is up there. I mean, she always has been and she's great. Um, and then who are we putting down on that right wing? Maybe someone like Arnie Espar. She plays well over that side. She's really great, yeah. So that's probably my, my total seven. Yeah, it's a good it's a good total seven. Yeah, some yeah. Uh, some interesting uh, position changes, but still, it's a it's a it's a good uh, it's a good seven. Okay. That's just for like one attack and one defense. Of course, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. A one minute game. Okay. Yeah. Uh, we've got a question here from uh, Federico Longas, uh, who asks, "Who is your favorite player now?" Um, that doesn't have to be from the total seven that you've uh, just picked, or it can maybe we can change that question to being a player that you looked up to when you were younger, or, or, or however you want to answer that mm-hmm. question. Okay, my favorite, like one of my all-time favorite players that I looked up to when I was younger. I also was fortunate to play with her, um, Glenn Mi- Glenn Glenn Cora Ralph, Glenn McGee. She ended her um, playing career. She was a same as me, a right-hander on the left-hander's side, um, amazing legs, really good vision, really a huge threat as an attacker on that side. Um, I learned a lot from her. I think it was my first two years at the Stingers. I got to play with her and my role was really when Glenn needs a rest, Bronte, you're in there for one to two minutes, giving her um, giving her a bit of respite. So, yeah, she's just a she was a phenomenal player and someone I really looked to emulate in, in my career. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and I would just say on that, obviously um, the terminology is different. I mean, we, we I would say the right side, but you're a right-hander. And really, I, I can't really think of anyone else more technically secure in that role than you. But lots of right-handers don't want to go on that side. Um, and you obviously spend a lot of time there. Um, what, what advice would you, would you give to, to people that, you know, lots, lots of coaches just put the person that they trust the most that side, what advice would you give to players who, who end up getting pushed on that side that maybe that they don't want to, how can they, they improve? It's just absolutely the best side ever. I love it. People are like, Oh, come play on the, I'm like, no, like these are my positions and I love them. Um, it's fun. You get to defend like the best right hand, arguably the best shooters in the world, you get to defend them and that's such an important role. And so I think that's actually why I got put on there is I have such a defensive brain. Um, I played a little Australian, also a English sport back home called netball, which not a lot of water polo people would know. And I played a defensive role in netball. So defense has always kind of been in my blood and in my system. And so that's why I kind of got put on that side is because I love to defend and I can understand it. So I got to go defend the best right-handers in the world. And then my attacking kind of came along and is still coming along as we go. So um, I would just say go out. You've got to have pretty good vision as a right-hander on that side of the pool, being able to feed people the ball. But you get to make a lot of the decisions in the water because you are ball carrying a lot and you get to decide kind of who – you want to finish off the play or where the ball should go or what should happen. So it is a really important role and it's fun. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't change it. I love playing there. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it. And you said that you're still developing your, your attacking play. I mean, people see your attackers 
being a being kind of your your forte, but really the facet of your game that was strongest certainly when you went to college and after was was your defensive play. So um, is it something you're 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 actively trying to work on at the moment? Well, I just think genuinely, like I'm if I didn't have anything to learn or take away from the sport, I'd probably retire. You know, I'm not satisfied with where I am in my playing yet. Hopefully, I keep improving, and that's only something that I can try to do every day. So. Um, <clears throat> I don't think anything is perfect in my game and I'm always trying to push the limits and push the kind of the glass ceiling and I think we see that with a lot of international players is that's all we're trying to do is just keep improving and hopefully keep loving the sport while we do it. So, yeah, my attack, I, I don't think, I think I have a long way to come in attack and also defensively there's, I mean, I make mistakes all the time so there's a lot of things I can improve, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, the next question we have is from JK81801, uh, and they ask, what is the favourite pool you've ever played in? I think I might know this. I think I could take a guess where this is. but Yeah. Um, oh, there's so many, and I love – I think it's just a part of being a part of a club team is you end up loving your home pool. Yeah. Um, so I love UCLA, and I love Kip and Sicily, and I love a few pools in Sydney, but my favourite international pool is – Margaret Island, Budapest, 100,000%. It's just the atmosphere. We've, I've been lucky to have two world championships there now um, and a few test series here and there. But it's an one, it's an outdoor pool. Love me an outdoor pool. Two, it's on an island that's literally known around the world as Water Polo Island. Like it can't get any better than that. And the Hungarian fans are just nuts. And it's they're so cool and they love the sport and yeah, nothing gets better than Margaret Island. Yeah. I suspected it was that one. I remember at the world championships speaking to you after the game and it was like, um, see, seeing like a kid in a, in a candy shop, like <laughs> looking like you were like, it's amazing. Look at the crowd. It's just, we love doing this. This is just the best thing ever. And of course, yeah, yeah you, you can't not love uh, Margaret Island. Um, yeah. okay. Uh, San underscore zero three WP asks, is there a story behind your number? Number four. Is there, is there... Oh, I thought this question might crop up. Um, I've always been the youngest in teams. So always just been handed like the last cap number. Um, I think when I first came into the stingers, I was like 11 or five or something. Um, I played like three and seven growing up. Uh, I went to college and got to play 25, which is pretty cool. So I've jumped around in cap numbers. I'm not superstitious where I have to have a number. I think I just learned that from being the youngest, but when I got the opportunity to pick my number in the Stingers, which was um, at the start of last cycle, so after Rio, um, I didn't really know what number I wanted, but there was maybe a handful left, maybe about seven or eight numbers left. It was my turn to pick. Um, and the player who came before me, Holly, she's like an older sister to me. We got on really well. She was like a second mum on tour. She played cap number four, and then my mum's favourite number is four. I'm also one of four, so I have three siblings. So kind of all that combined, I was just like, why not play cap number four for the Stingers? But I'm not four at Horizonte. I wasn't four at UCLA. Um, yeah, I think I, I don't really care what cap number I play. I just like to play. <laughs> yeah, so there isn't really a story, but there sort of is a little bit of uh, relevance to you. Yeah. Fine. Fine. Okay, we've got a question here that could honestly take hours. Um, you could write like a thesis on it, but uh, uh, Magna Polo asks, how can uh, Australia improve the youth development even more than it is right now? 
is there like a is there like a short answer to to that question the short answer is exposure to high levels of water polo um whether that be through like film footage travel bringing people in but just exposure to different styles and high levels of water polo um i think australia has a long way to come in their basics and getting like their skills right if we can really nail that in our juniors and there's no telling where we will go um so watching what international and european and american clubs do with their skills and their basics and then emulating that with your club back home um i go back to my club that i started at sydney on the beaches breakers a lot when i'm home and help coach um and i'm always telling the coaches let's work on their skills let's get like their passing right their body position in the water if you get all that right then it's easier when you go up the rank and you can then just learn tactics and other um parts of the game okay exposure good we have a question here um from i don't know if i'm saying this name but pepe tropia uh on instagram do you know this person yeah it's a a boyfriend of a friend yeah boyfriend of a friend what is your relationship like with martina michelli (laughs) now um a, a, a legendary player really certainly of italian water polo gold medalist i think i think she won a few world championships in, in european championships how uh, how is she to have as a coach and uh, obviously how is your relationship i adore martina she is so awesome to be coached by just because she is so passionate and energetic and loves what she does she is 120% involved in everything that she does when she coaches. So um, it can be really full on and can be overwhelming at times. And sometimes as players, we all laugh. We're like, oh, Martina, like, come on, like, just cut the slack. But she doesn't let you give up and she doesn't let you let up at all, ever. And that's what I think I love about her the most. And she's just, like you said, she has an absolute rap sheet on her as a player and now as a coach. And she knows her sport so well. So to be coached by her and to learn really important lessons from her, um, obviously there's a language barrier. She doesn't speak English. I speak parcel tongue in Italian, like absolute pigeon Italian. So um, it can be a difficult time to communicate with her. But, I mean, I think she likes me. I think she loves me. I love her. She's the best. So, yeah, she's great. The relationship is good. Uh, actually, on... Um... On the subject of speaking Italian, uh, we have a question from Anna Milicevic, who is a player that's just joined um, joined Bruce in, in yeah. Italy. And um, she asked, how long did it take you to learn Italian? By the sounds <laughs> of it, not yet, but... <laughs> yeah, I'm still learning. Um, I was, what, nine months there. I got to live with Julia Emelo, um, and so she was like my my mouth all last season she's my eyes English. Did... she's really good and helpful she's amazing so she helped me learn a lot I also had a beautiful teacher who helped me learn a lot um I'm still learning I can understand pretty much close to everything now like people will speak and I can sit there and listen to the conversation and understand it um but then the brain to mouth connection is a lot slower to actually speak it um languages has not been something I've ever been really good at so 
I'm trying my hardest. I would love to become fluent, but it's still a work in progress. Um, so that's what we're going on like month 12, a year say, and I'm still not probably where I would like to be. We've, we've got a question here from someone you'll know again, um, Marguerite King, um, uh, a former Olympian, of course. Um, what qualities or values do you look for in optimal support staff? It's quite an interesting one. We don't, this is a, not normally a question we end up asking our guests, but, um, but we do get a fair few coaches at, at, at a lower level, maybe, um, that listen to this. So for you as a high performer and just as a basic level of player, what, what sort of things and qualities and features are you looking for for someone that involves themselves in and around the squad? Yeah, so for a bit of context, Margus is our physio that comes away with us and we absolutely adore her and love her. Um, so I love that she's asked this question. She probably didn't want to ask who's your favourite physio, but <laughs> um, this is a really interesting question. I've never been asked it. So um, I think the first thing is like friendship. And I, that sounds so random, but um, the ability for one of your sports staff to be able to read your body language or read kind of you or what's going on without you even explicitly telling them is a really important trait to have when they see that you're really tired, you're really stressed or you're in a good mood or whatever that is, being able to read that and give you what you need in that moment without you asking for it is something that I really, really appreciate and I think is undervalued. Some some support staff do it so well where you know, you could walk into a physio room or to a gym and just be so, you may maybe don't even know that you're that way and you walk in, you're so tired or exhausted or overwhelmed and they know just to like in that moment, all right, Bront, like they'll tell you a joke or make you laugh or like, all right, Bront, like we're just going to do like a yoga session today instead of lifting because you're, you're just like, you're drained. So I think kind of, and I don't know if it's necessarily called friendship, but I would call that friendship, like that kind of high level support that you just don't even need to speak. And then the other things I would just say is professionalism. You know, you want them to be on their A game all the time, whether that's in the physio, in the gym, on pool deck as coaches um, and have that professionalism with you as an athlete that they're able, they're able to tell you at one point in time when you've screwed up or when you're injured or sick, they're like, nope, stay in bed, stay home or like, no, like this is how you have to do it and have kind of like pull that rank or power or whatever you want over you and actually tell you as an athlete because I think us as athletes we can get so ahead of ourselves that we're like we know what's best but like really we're all just trying to figure it out on our own so friendship and professionalism yeah okay we will we'll have two more questions we've got one here from Amsperko is from the UK but is an Aussie so this one might be special but what is your favorite thing about playing in Italy um I just think the the passion for water polo is like one of my favorite things uh everyone knows the sport water polo um and the ones who play it are really skilled and high level water polo players so I think Italians just love their sport, but they extremely love water polo. And so I think that's probably like my favorite thing is, yeah, their passion. How is that different to Aussies? Because Australians certainly as, a, as an Englishman, we know that 
Australians are very passionate about sports also. So I just think water polo isn't on the radar of many Aussies as a sport. It's not a huge sport down down under. Um, you've got, you know, your footies, your cricket, your netball, surf life saving. There's a lot more sports that come to mind when you think of Australian sport. We don't necessarily think about water polo as a sport. Um, and that's not by fault of anyone. That's just kind of how it works in Aussie. And we've got everyone plays sport under the sun. So um, we've got a massive gene pool to pick from for high-performance sports. So um, we are definitely passionate and our fans are passionate and the kids and the people involved in water polo is passionate. But I just think as a whole, as a country in Italy, nine times out of ten, everyone knows Palo Morto. Everyone. So, like, that's kind of the difference. Yeah. Yeah. She has been learning some uh, some Italian. Oh, it's good. It's good. There you go. Okay, <laughs> last question. We end on this question for all of our guests. But what, what, what does life look like for you outside of the swimming pool, however little that time might be? What hobbies do you have? What do you do to relax? What do you enjoy doing when you're not throwing a ball around? Yeah, so I actually work outside of water polo. Um, I studied a Bachelor of Psych specialising in disability studies at UCLA um, and now I work two days a week for Cerebral Palsy Australia um, and I'm so fortunate that my workplace is flexible, allows me to work when I'm in Italy um, via a different time zone over Zoom. Um, I'm really, really lucky in that sense. But So I work in the disability sector in kind of advocacy and engagement and governance of um, different bits and pieces and yeah I couldn't be more thankful for that outside of work I um I love reading and I love I challenge myself to read 22 books in 2022 I'm up to 19 so I've got four more to go by the end of the year and then I'm just like your classic athlete that loves to binge watch Netflix and lie in bed as well as every other thing under the sun yeah Wow, I didn't know that about your your work with the the, the disability stuff. That's um, that's that's really admirable. That's that's great to hear, and um, all the best with that, and all the best with Thanks. the World League next uh, next week, and obviously for the the Italian League and the Euro League. And thank you very much for joining us. Um, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, James. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. There are so many amazing lessons to take away from that talk. I, I really feel so enriched and, I, and I'm really not surprised that Bronte is doing the things that she's doing and reaching the levels that she's reaching. Uh, she's a world-class athlete, so try to absorb as many of her words and take away every piece of advice that she gave during our talk. Anyhow, thanks so much for staying with us uh, for this podcast episode. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, don't forget to give us a review, a share, a like on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast. And of course, don't forget that you're entitled to 10% off at werewolterpolo.com using our discount code PODCAST10. So that's PODCAST10 for 10% off your next order. But as I said, guys, thanks for sticking around. We've got another awesome guest next week and we'll see you then. Bye-bye. <laughs>